At this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired. We are here with Sarah Vallely, mindfulness teacher, coach, and author. Sarah has been teaching meditation and mindfulness for the past two decades, training and certifying others to teach mindfulness. Sarah is the author of four books. Her latest book is titled Tame, Soothe, Dwell, The 55 Teachings of TSD Mindfulness. In today's episode, we discuss the meaning of the word mindfulness and whether or not it's being overused in the media. We discuss mental neutrality. We talk about how to be less judgmental and how to acknowledge difficulty. I'm Jacob DeRosset. I'm here with Sarah Vallely. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing great, Jacob. Thank you. Has mindfulness become a cliche? This is a question that I've been thinking a lot about the last year. Is the term mindfulness overused? Is the term mindfulness losing its meaning? I think the places you would hear it is in the media. When you go to the grocery store and see that you know three or four of the magazines have the word mindfulness on the front cover. Which is great. I'm glad that it's becoming such a big deal. I guess the part that is frustrating for me is specifically several months ago, I was on Clubhouse. Have you heard about the app Clubhouse? Nope. Okay. So it's this social app and it doesn't use anything that's visual. So no pictures, no text, it's all voice. And I was just shocked by all the misuse of the word mindfulness. But going back to this idea of cliché, did you know that the word cliché is a French term meaning to produce a print or stereotype? And a stereotype is a printing plate used to print duplicates. I did not know that. That is interesting. Isn't that cool? I don't know that I hear the word mindfulness being overused, but I will say I hear the term mindfulness being misused all of the time. I really like to either go inch deep, mile wide, or inch wide, mile deep with things. I don't have a moderate bone in my mm-hmm. body. When I hear like the word being spread and spread and spread, and then people almost never knowing what it actually means, that irks me. I'm with you on that. That one gets me. I do have this fear that the word mindfulness is going to lose its meaning. Mm-hmm. Are we going to get to a point where people are going to start glossing over the word mindfulness. They're going to be like, well, tune it out. I hear that all the time. I think it's kind of like when you hear Freebird on the radio <laughs> and then you're like, oh my God. Or, or worst case, you hear uh, Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinner and it's on the KFC commercial. So you just hate that song. But then every once in a while though, this is where I leave hope open that like every once in a while, it'll hit you just right and you'll leave it on and you're like, wow, this is a really good song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But going back to what you were saying about the misuse, this is what I think people are doing. Even really educated people who have masters in some type of mental health, people in high places are misusing this word. But I think what people are doing is they're using the word mindfulness to describe anything that is relatively alternative and relaxing. People will say breathing exercises are mindfulness, affirmations our mindfulness. Anything that's just a little bit alternative and relaxing, that must be mindfulness. I started practicing mindfulness before it was popular. 
And I learned mindfulness through Buddhist teachings. So to me, mindfulness is definitely associated with the Buddhist teachings. So it's hard for me to even separate mindfulness from Buddhist teachings. But I totally get why the media is doing that because people will be apprehensive if it's connected to Buddhist teaching. So I get that. Well, from my understanding, originate from Buddhist teachings, but they're all under the contemplative arts that like a lot of contemplative practices that overarch Stoicism and the Greeks and Romans and all that. So all that is under the umbrella term of contemplative practices, Mm -hmm. but mindfulness specifically stems from from the Buddha and Buddhism, I I believe. But you can practice that without subscribing to Buddhism. I was actually listening to this debate a while back. If you somebody was like washed up on shore as a baby on a desert island and raised themselves, could they essentially get to a place where they would practice mindfulness? Could they happen upon a contemplative art of their own or contemplative practice of their own without having any influence from anything else? What you're asking is, is mindfulness a a human trait that we're born with? Is ah, it just yeah. eventually going to come out? Yeah. Yeah. Mindfulness is one of the seven factors of enlightenment. So that's where it fits into the Buddhist teachings. If you're trained in insight, Vipassana meditation, mindfulness has a very specific term and method. First of all, mindfulness isn't always relaxing. I mean, obviously, it does help us get to that point. But I think that it's not always relaxing because part of practicing mindfulness is you need to surrender to your own inabilities. You sit, you meditate, and you realize, holy shit, I have no control over my mind. Like my mind is bonkers. That's not very relaxing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's humbling is what it is. It's humbling, which is important. And when you begin starting mindfulness, you usually start hearing all this chatter that you weren't aware of before. That can be loud. But then eventually, after a few months, it calms down. In essence, practicing mindfulness is a huge ego check. Mindfulness is not about relaxation. It's about awareness. So breathing exercises are not mindfulness. Affirmations are not mindfulness because it involves bringing something into the moment that wasn't naturally there. Affirmations are great. I teach affirmations. Please use affirmations. Just please don't call them mindfulness. Breathing exercises are great. Just please don't call them mindfulness. Mantras are not mindfulness. Again, for the same reason that affirmations are not. You're bringing something into the moment that's not naturally there. Turning on the music before you sit down to meditate is not mindfulness, right? You're setting up a stage. Mindfulness is about just being in the moment as it is. Receiving psychic information is not mindfulness. That's great. I'm a huge fan of people who are intuitive, but it's not mindfulness. It's something different. So what mindfulness is, first and foremost, Mindfulness is paying attention to the physical world. That is paying attention to the sounds in your physical environment, paying attention to the sensations in your physical body with eyes open, noticing the details of your physical world. If you're breathing, that's a, that's physical. If mindfulness is about bringing nothing in and it's just paying attention to the physical world, there is a direction of attention that has to happen there, right? Like you have to essentially make a decision, am I going to pay attention to this or not? Or you have to remind yourself or cue in to pay attention to the physical world. So what is that directing of attention? How does that fit in basically if you do have to direct your attention to the physical world? Good question. So I said that the primary 
purpose of mindfulness is paying attention to your physical world. The secondary oh, okay. there we go important again. part of your practice is paying attention to your emotions and your thinking. And I also like to include in their energetic sensations because I work with a lot of healers. And then there's one last piece to that. Mindfulness is also paying attention to the way you're paying attention. Are you bringing some judgmental attention to the moment? Are you being curious? So to answer your question about directing the attention, so that depends on what specific mindfulness practice you're practicing. And if you're having a sitting practice, there are only two. One is single-pointed focus, which is you are choosing a stimulus and you're focusing on it. And that would be something from the physical world that you would choose, either your breath, body sensations, sounds in the environment, or with your eyes open looking at something. The other type of practice is called open awareness. And open awareness is noticing what ever comes into your consciousness as if your consciousness is a screen and you're just noticing what's coming in on that screen whether it does come from your physical world whether it is a sound or is it a thought or an emotion so it it depends what you're what you're practicing and the advanced mindfulness meditators do both at the same time they're focused on their breath usually and then they're also open to what might pop into their consciousness know that certain teachers do make a differentiation about the depth of of experience that you're having. So if I'm aware that I'm aware, do you make a differentiation of that self versus the self that is the doing, that is the talking, that is the thinking? Or do you not differentiate those two? I might use different words. I think the idea of becoming mindful of what type of attention you're bringing into the moment helps with that. So if you are bringing in some real distraction, you are aware that you are distracted. So those are different layers, right? There's the awareness, that deep awareness that yes, I'm aware, but then there is the part of me that's distracted. But do you make it a point to really parse those out with people? My primary focus and my work is trauma healing. So if you're coming at it with a trauma healing approach, that's secondary. What's really primary is to help people become aware of their emotions and feel those emotions and notice how those emotions are in their body and the self-compassion practice is so important. So I, I push those other pieces more in the work that I do. The other term I wanted to bring up is non-judgmental. And I don't know if the term non-judgmental is becoming a cliche. I think my bigger concern about the term non-judgmental is I think it's unclear. The traditional definition of mindfulness is non-judgmental awareness. Okay. Maybe if you've gone and taken eight classes in mindfulness, maybe you know what that means. But if you're someone that doesn't know about mindfulness and hears the definition of a mindfulness being non-judgmental awareness, I think it's unclear. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. And I think it could steer somebody into thinking like, okay, so let's say they sit down and try to practice mindfulness and they get judgmental. They would think that they weren't doing mindfulness. And Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's and that's why what I teach is becoming aware of what you're bringing into the moment, what type of attention you are. If you're in judgmental attention, that's okay. Just be aware that that's where you're at. So I wonder when you hear this term non-judgmental, do you truly understand what it means or do you understand what it 
doesn't mean. It means to not be judgmental, but it still leaves a lot of uh, unanswered questions. If you're not being judgmental, what are you being instead? Well, I would assume the answer would be non-judgmental, but that's not probably not the case, right? Well, yeah, but non-judgmental, what does that mean? I and mean, that's my whole point. Like this isn't oh, clear. Yeah. So what yeah. what does that mean? What does the word non-judgmental mean? I mean, without judgment, I would say, right? Like <laughs> that's the only thing I could come up with. Well, that's frustrating, right? Because you're trying to define it using the word judgmental, but yeah. can we define it without using the word and judgmental? Then it, I don't know. What is it? So I made a little list of what possibly could be, if we're not being judgmental, maybe we're being open, maybe we're being accepting, maybe we're being tolerant, and maybe we're being neutral. So when we hear this term being non-judgmental, maybe that's how we should define it, right? Being open, accepting, tolerant, neutral. I use the term mental neutrality. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've used that term. Yeah. Instead of inviting people to be non-judgmental, I invite them to be mentally neutral. And the reason is, is because the, the mental part is because it doesn't mean that you have to be emotionally neutral. That's like opens so much for my clients when they realize, oh, I can be in the emotion. I'm just letting go of the mental part of the judgment. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about the word non-judgmental in relation to mindfulness is people think they have to be emotionally neutral. I use the word neutral because it means we let go of that positive and negative perspectives temporarily, even if it's just long enough to give ourselves self-compassion to move through the emotion. So I got a question for you. What is something that you feel neutral about? So this is a hard question. I yeah. ask my clients this and it takes them a long time to answer. Yeah, I and know it's, it's going it, to take me a minute. We have positive and negative attached to almost everything. So mine is an avocado. I feel neutral about an avocado. I eat one every day. I put it in my smoothie, but if I miss it, it's fine. About the only thing I could come up with right now is sparkling water. I'm pretty neutral about sparkling water. It doesn't do a lot for me. I like regular water. Sparkling water is there, but... If it vanished tomorrow, I wouldn't shed a tear about it. So I feel very neutral about sparkling water. This idea of neutrality is kind of foreign in a way. Yeah, it's very strange to think about. Yeah, but we can use an object like that to help us develop our neutral muscle in our brain. I know in a loving kindness meditation, a lot of times they'll have you pick someone neutral, you feel totally neutral about, and that is very hard to really get to someone that you have absolutely no feelings about. It's kind of tough. It makes me feel good, you know, that like most people, I, I can find something I like about them. and But, you know, like it's hard to find someone that's, you're totally neutral about that person. You have no feelings mm-hmm. about them. Yeah. Yeah. It's not how our DNA is constructed, right? For no. survival reasons, we needed to have positive and negative. This is yeah. going to harm my survival. This is going to support my survival. Yeah. Yeah. It's either mate or enemy, mate, enemy. Yeah. That's it. yeah. Right. Right. So being mentally neutral doesn't mean that we're not having negative thoughts. I mean, it definitely helps, but we can have negative thoughts while we're being mentally neutral, but we're not identifying with the negative thoughts. So that's what we were talking about earlier with, you know, what part of yourself are you conscious of? Mentally neutral does not mean that we're not experiencing difficult emotions. You're just going through it with a more mentally neutral perspective. 
And being mentally neutral does not mean that you're ignoring or suppressing difficulty in general or acknowledging difficulty in a more compassionate way and with an awareness that the difficulty is temporary. A lot of times when we are being really judgmental, there's some difficulty going on that we're not acknowledging. And so here's some examples of times that we might not be acknowledging difficulty. If we think something like, I can't believe this is happening. Do you have any ideas there about why that's an example of not acknowledging difficulty? Well, you're saying, I can't believe this is happening. So it's happening and you're refusing to believe that it's happening. So in a way, you're kind of refusing to acknowledge the circumstances that kind of got that led to that. Yeah, I think that's perfect. You're not, you're definitely not leaning into whatever the situation is and you're pushing it away. You're resisting. There's a lot of resistance in that statement. So an example of mental neutrality in the same situation is, I accept this is difficult. It's kind of like a mic drop. Yeah, yeah. I accept that this is difficult. Yeah. Another one would be people shouldn't act that way. So that might be an example of being judgmental or not being mentally neutral. The way you're looking at the situation is you are, again, resisting it, resisting the flow of the situation and having an authority on how the situation should play out. So you could simply instead acknowledge difficulty. I'm noticing this is bringing up difficult feelings. You're shifting what you're looking at. You're shifting your approach and instead you're shifting it toward yourself and what you're going through on a deep level. And the fact is, it's difficult. You know, whatever it was that happened, it's difficult and that's okay. It's okay to admit that some things are just difficult. It doesn't make you any weaker. It doesn't make you a person that's less worthy, that's lesser than other people. It's a way to really show up for yourself. So another example here is, I need things to change. I can't keep living like this. So we're really focused on the components of the situation, the players, a lot of stuff that's outside of us, right? But if we switch it around and say, I understand feeling stuck is difficult. See that difference? It's a complete shift. There'll be times when I'm like, I'm not handling this very well right now. So is that an example of that? If Jacob Durosset says, I'm not handling this well, does that mean on a deep level, you're putting pressure on yourself that you should have done differently? Or does that mean, you know what? I just kind of check in with myself and... I didn't handle that that well, and that's okay. I'm just going to let that go. Well, Where are you at? It's definitely a step-by-step process for me. And one step of the process is to just get very frustrated that I'm not handling it well. And the second step would be to be like, okay, well, you know, sometimes you're not going to handle stuff well. And then think to, well, what are all the reasons that led to this? You didn't get enough sleep. Usually that's it. Or you didn't eat or something. Getting frustrated about the current situation is just not helpful. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Again, am I on the spectrum here of that? There's any pressure involved. If there's annoyance, anger, resentment, any of that, then that is definitely a situation where acknowledging the difficulty is going to take the energy out of that. Uh Yeah. If you're angry at yourself, frustrated with yourself, and then you just say, you know what, reset, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to say, wow, 
this is this is difficult. When these situations come up, this is difficult. I tend to get hyper-focused on things and then that causes this chain reaction, setting off a spree of events of me being a little off on the next wave of things. I actually experienced this today where I was in a situation where I had made a couple of mistakes. My first reaction was like, I've been pretty, pretty busy lately. You know, a couple of little slip ups happen here and there. But then I go through the list of things that I need to do to get better in the situation. Trauma can put us in a place where we just look at things and we look at it very matter-of-factly and this is what needs to happen and this is what I need to do next and boom, boom, boom. So some of us that have gone through trauma are really effective and efficient and there's a lot of benefits to that. I'm inviting people to do here to acknowledge the difficulty and to give self-compassion will help to heal that past. You are younger than me. You're 30. And the clients that I have that are in their 30s are usually benefiting from this process, the exact process that you are outlining here. It's like, okay, okay, identify, fix, redo, boom, 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 right? But when I have clients who continue to use the same process up into their 50s and 60s, they are in burnout. Oh, Yeah. So over time, so it's working for you right now, but as you people get older, it just drags you down because you're just spent, you know, 30 years in a row or longer identifying every little misstep, correcting it, redoing it. And it's just, it drags you down. Okay. All right. So, so in real time, what, what should I do specifically here? Let's give an, right. a, an example of like, yeah. what, what do I need to do? Cause I want to get fixed. So help me out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Some of the things that you've shared with me don't seem like real high intensely difficult situations. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. It's all just normal stuff, which is makes it three times more annoying or 10 times more annoying. Then just a simple redirect might be good for you. And that's just taking a two minute break, whatever you're doing, step away from your desk and listen to the birds for two straight minutes or listen to your breath for two straight minutes. Mm. I think something simple like that would be a nice just cycle breaker for you because it's not a highly difficult situation. I like that redirect though. I'm going to use that. That's great. Some of my clients have a YouTube video of the ocean waves set up on their phone, ready to go. And they'll take a two minute break and just play ocean waves for two minutes and notice if the sound of the waves seems far away or is it coming back closer? And that can do wonders. Okay, cool. Done. The Aware Mind Podcast is a TSD Mindfulness production. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame, S as in soothe, and D as in dwell. Mind as in mindfulness.org. Check out our blog post for this episode with links to supplemental information such as worksheets you can use to put into practice the mindfulness skills shared in this episode. Also, please sign up for our newsletter and receive mindfulness tips. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at aware underscore mind underscore podcast. Thank you.